Schluenberg about that. Josh, welcome in. How are you today, sir? Good, Jim. How you doing? Good, good. Um, when I read that piece in the New York Times, there, I think there was a, an assumption that when he got the max contract after the the uh, NBA title, that there was an assumption on his part. And I don't know. It just seems a little confusing. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I read the interview. I thought a lot of it was, was candid, was fair, was honest. Um, I think for a lot of people, the thing that stood out might be something that's a little bit misinterpreted is some confusion over what the expectation was or what his role was after signing that max contract that, to, to quote Pascal, that there wasn't as much communication as he thought there needed to be, that he was the guy. Now, of course, a lot of people taking issue to this because, and I think this is just assumed is that when you sign the max contract, of course you're going to be the guy. And I think just naturally, given where the team was at that time too, with Kawhi leaving, Pascal being the number two offensive option for that championship team, obviously the number one option leaves in free agency. Of course, Pascal is going to be the guy. And I I think from my perspective anyway, that was always pretty clear publicly from Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri. They've always talked about Pascal being the guy. I'm reading in between the lines here. I think maybe what he meant by that is at the time, of course, the face of the Raptors, the face of the organization wasn't Pascal Siakam, even if he got the max contract, even if he was the guy. We all know that this was Kyle Lowry's team. There was no question about that for legacy reasons. And I think just in terms of his value on the court, even if he wasn't the leading scorer or the number one offensive option, this has been Kyle Lowry's team. So maybe that's what he meant, that even though he was getting the money, even though his usage was sky high, that this technically wasn't his team, because there is something in that article, in that interview about that now those conversations are happening, that communication is happening about this being his team. I think that maybe that's what he meant. And that's something that Lowry alluded to as well. At some point over the last few months, he talked about how sort of this is an unofficial passing of the torch now, that Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam can take on more responsibility now that he's not around. It's something that the team has talked about here as well. So I, I do see some of that, even though it was maybe worded poorly. Yeah, I mean, the way you've said it there, and going over what I read, it almost sounds like there needed to be a conversation to say that, you know, you are the guy, but the original guy is still here, so we're going to transition this at some point. I mean, as simple as that, right? And you're right. This is the transition here. This is very much a new era for the Raptors. I know they've been segueing in this direction for a while, and that was the idea for them too, right? Because it's never a smooth transition when – you're just like, boom, there you are. You're right in the rebuild now. You're bringing in young guys, and that's not what this was. The the idea here was always draft well and, and develop while also winning. So it, this has been a gradual process where you're grooming Siakam, you're grooming Van Vliet, you bring in OG Ananobi, uh, and, and now you add in Scotty Barnes. But most of these guys have learned under Lowry and previously Ibaka Gasol some of the best, a lot of these guys were here for the championship, and now they're going to mentor Barnes and some of these other young guys. So it is sort of a a long-term process that this team has had in mind. But I do think when you look at what needs to happen here with Van Vliet and and Siakam taking on 
bigger leadership roles with Lowry gone. They are the guys. Siakam is the guy now, and there's more to it than just the on-court product. Obviously, from a a basketball standpoint, this has been a a rough year for Siakam. He knows that. He talked about that as well in this interview with the New York Times of how he needs to grow and get better as a basketball player. Another obstacle standing in his way, of course, now is the recovery from shoulder surgery. He's going to miss at least some time um, going into the season and not having the full off-season to work on his game is going to hurt as well. I do think there are steps that he needs to take from a basketball standpoint, but being the guy, I mean, there's more to it than just the basketball element. And I think we saw that last year as well, is there was some frustration that Siakam maybe channeled in in the wrong way. Uh, The altercation with Nick Nurse after that game against Houston, uh, him, uh, missing a game early in the season for disciplinary reasons against New York on on New Year's Eve. We know that, I mean, obviously he's had a lot of success, team and individual success in his pro career. Last year was probably the first year where he had to learn how to deal with some uh, of that frustration, of that failure in a way that he hadn't before. And and that's, I think, the next evolution of him as, as being a leader and being the guy as well is you not only have to be the guy when things are going well, but you have to know how to be the guy when things aren't going well. And hopefully that's something that he was able to pick up. And Van Vliet was able to pick up from being with a guy like Lowry. who I can also didn't deal with losing very well. You never want to be uh, okay with and accepting of losing, but you've got to be able to channel it in the right direction and, and be that leader off the court that this team is going to need Pascal and company and, and Van Vliet to be going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is something that evolves. I mean, we can all remember when Kyle Lowry first became a Raptor. I mean, there was a struggle there, uh, clearly. And, and I'm talking about top-end consistency, meaning doing it every night, regardless of the game situation, regardless of the score, regardless of, of where your team is. And, and that that's really a missing piece for Pascal, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, there is a learning curve. I also think, I mean, this is, as I said, it's been a really unusual year a year plus now, I guess, year and a half for Siakam, a guy who has had a ton of success in the early stages of his career. And it's sort of, I think it's, it's frustrating sometimes, not only for players, but for fans when growth isn't linear. And, and it's not always linear. In most cases, it isn't. But I think the expectation for a lot of people players and fans is that you're taking those steps, right? That you're, you're a a bench player, then you're a starter, then you're an all-star, then you're a superstar and you're just gradually getting better until eventually you hit your peak in your prime years. And then there's a gradual decline, but that's not always the way that works. Sometimes you hit a, a roadblock here or there, you take a step back and then have to take it and learn from it and take a few steps. Forward. And I, I do think it, it, what's fascinating about the Siakam situation for me is there's been such a drastic shift in the way that he's perceived with a lot of this fan base, not all of it, but with a lot of it, because remember, he was beloved in, in this city and, and still is. But I, I think it was just like universally before, right? He was yeah. a, a huge piece in that championship team. And it's not just the basketball stuff, too. I think the story is what made Siakam such a fan favorite, right? Because... He uh, starts basketball, picks up the game late in life. He comes here from Cameroon where he grew up and was studying to be a priest. He overcomes the tragic loss of his father and dedicates 
his career to his father's memory. He it was a surprise late first round pick and then turns himself into a starter and an all-star and an all-NBA caliber player. Um, but then the, the bubble happens, and, and this past year, the inconsistency, the off-court issues, and I do think some people have soured on him and just don't look at him the same way, and he knows that too, right? Like, he's off of social media, but he hears these things. He knows what people are saying. So I, I do think there's probably some frustration there. And listen, the, the criticism is warranted. I'll add that because, to, to be clear, the, the criticism from a basketball standpoint it, it is fair, and that's what you sign up for. That's what he's being paid for. The personal attacks, and that's something that he talked about in that interview as well, are completely unfair and and those people who are are attacking him personally they need to get a life they need to stop with that but i think there are a few things here to remember for anybody that has soured on siakam either as a player or as a person one he's still the same person right he's still the same guy that remarkable story that that background that he has that hasn't changed and then two is that Growth isn't always linear and that he's still just 27. He's still young. He's still growing and getting better as a player. And I'm confident that we haven't seen the best of Pascal Siakam. So let's put it this way. If players were, if you could buy stock in a player, you could buy stock in Pascal Siakam. I'm buying, buying, buying that stock right now because it's low and it's going to be going up. I don't know when, but it's going to be going up. Well, look, honestly, some people have their analysis, and it's not anybody in the business, but those on the outside base their analysis on the fact that they lost a bet or that somebody got well paid, and I'll just leave it at that. I, the thing I want to talk about, because we talked about this on, on Raptors broadcasts, um, the, the, the gaping hole they had for most of last year at the five spot, how much would that have affected his ability? You know, I think it affected a number of guys. Like Chris Boucher, for example, had a great season last year, but you wonder if it would have been even better had he been cast in a more uh, appropriate role. Because I think it's pretty clear at this point in his career, and Nick Nurse talks about it all the time, that he is more of a natural four than a five because of some of his physical limitations. It's just his natural position. It's, and, and he was much better later in the season when he was playing next to Ken Birch and even Aaron Baines coming off the bench. I think it was probably better for Baines and it was definitely better for Boucher to be next to another big man that could take up some of that space and battle with those big physical fives on the other end. And I think the same could be said for Pascal Siakam, who at times last year was playing out of position at the five. I do think that's, that's tough for, for guys. There's pros and cons to it, right? Like you look at the roster now and I wouldn't say, Oh, well, the Raptors have addressed the, the five position and now things are going to be much better and make more sense from a positional standpoint this year. Bringing back Ken Birch, I think was important. Um, he's probably going to start when Siakam's healthy. He's the four-man there, so I think that probably helps to a degree. But this is still a, a team that's pretty undersized. They're they're unique in the sense that you've got a lot of guys that sort of occupy the same space. The six eight, six nine 
versatile forward with the long wingspan that can play and defend multiple positions, it's going to be really interesting from that standpoint because I do think the Raptors are looking at this and saying, let's experiment a little bit. We know Nick Nurse loves to do that, and Masai does too. Let's try something new. Let's really test the limits of positionless basketball. So I think there's some benefit there, but there's also a a bit of a disadvantage for some guys like Siakam and, and Boucher who might be asked to do something that maybe they're not comfortable doing. But I do think, like, if they're able to do that, and if they get some reps and experience doing that, maybe it is best for the long term because it allows them to go out there and do some things that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do a couple years ago. It expands their game. It expands what their their limits are. And if nothing else, I think this will be a good year for Nick Nurse to get a sense of what those limits are, what guys are able to do, and – maybe just as importantly, what they're not able to do. Okay, so if when everybody's healthy, if this is the starting lineup, Freddie, Trent Jr., OG, Pascal, and, and Birch, if that is the starting lineup, in my opinion, that's Freddie's team. How about you? What do you think about that? Yeah, that, no question. I, I think that's why, sort of going back to what we were saying earlier, where Pascal is clearly the guy in terms of like the future of this team when he signed that max contract, but in terms of... The, who, who the franchise, who the face of the franchise was, who the leader was, that was clearly Lowry. Lowry leaves, and yeah, I think from that standpoint, it opens things up a little bit more for somebody like Siakam to take more ownership over where this is going. But I agree with you. I think just naturally speaking, the successor there for Lowry in a number of respects is Fred Van Vliet. Positionally, obviously, this is Van Vliet's team. He's the point guard. He's going to be the guy that's running the offense. But I just think in terms of the personality and the leadership style, that fits more with, with the way that Van Vliet leads than the way that Siakam and, – and Siakam would be the first to admit that, right? And he's talked about that before, too. Guys that – are different, they're, they're different types of leaders in the NBA. DeMar DeRozan is a great example of it because I, I thought that as he got older, more experienced, and matured during his years with the Raptors, he did take on more of a leadership role, but it was a different type of leadership role than Lowry. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. One is better than the other type of leadership or um, – you know, like you, you sort of need both sides of that, and that's why I thought Lowry and DeRozan paired so well for so many years because there was sort of DeMar that more of a quiet leadership style, leading by example, really earned respect in the locker room in that way and found his spots on and off the court to lead in a quieter way. Maybe it meant going up to a younger player and really taking him under his wing, and then Lowry, of course, was, was more – Vocal, And I think Van Vliet is that way in spite of the fact that he's still a very young player. But I think he's always had that. That's just a personality thing. So I think and we know that Van Vliet and Siakam are close. They came up together. They have been close for a number of years. Maybe we're looking at the next evolution of like the Lowry-DeRozan pairing where you've got the quieter Siakam who can lead by example and needs to do a better job of leading by example on and off the court. And Van Vliet, the vocal uh point guard in the Lowry mold, I think that that's probably where this team wants to go with those two as the 1A and 1B building around the other pieces that they have in Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi and some of these other guys. 
What's intriguing to me always, and we've talked about this many times in the Raptors broadcast as well, is their player development. Uh, because you could look at the starting five and, and, and have an opinion about the team, but, but it's, it's the second, it's the rotation, uh, it's the second tier players, and they're usually pretty young. And last year, Malachi Flynn went from nowhere to somewhere. And, and so I would expect more out of him this year. I would expect, uh, Scotty and also Precious to, to emerge. That's the fun part of where they are, isn't it? Yeah, it's something that they've always done well and they've had confidence in. And let's face it, the Scotty Barnes pick at number four was a bet on their player development system. I don't think there's much question that Jalen Suggs is the more NBA-ready prospect right now. I don't even think the Raptors would dispute that. But when you're drafting at fourth overall, a luxury the Raptors haven't had over the years, they've done well picking from the bottom of the draft, selecting from the end of the first round, second round, even finding gems outside of the draft. But when you're drafting that high, I'm not sure that the mindset is, okay, who's the most NBA ready right now? You're trying to hit a home run. You're really looking for who is the best guy here in two or three years, four years, five years down the road. Who's going to be the best NBA player? And especially when you're a team like the Raptors that has – the utmost confidence in their player development system, you bet on that and you say, okay, we're going to take this guy that might be more of a longer term project and we're going to refine certain areas of his game. In the case of Scotty Barnes, it's his offense, in particular his shooting. We're going to improve those things. We're going to work with him. We're going to help him grow. And they can see that vision of, of what he can become. Of course, I also think it helps to bet on a player like that when he has the type of approach and work ethic that Scotty Barnes does. And we're starting to see those things, learning more about the type of player that he is, reading his player's Tribune piece today. You can see that drive, that fire that really uh, turned the Raptors uh, into Scotty Barnes fans during the pre-draft process. So, yeah, I think that that's what that was about, is their their player development system, the fact that they're confident in it. And then I also think, and this is something that Bobby Webster has talked a lot about, it's restocking the farm system, essentially. Baseball teams do it all the time. We saw it with the Jays after Alex Anthopoulos went out and traded all of those prospects to go all in on uh, David Price and Troy Tulowitzki and, and that team to go and make the playoffs. So the Raptors basically did the same thing during the championship season or ahead of it. They trade Jakob Pertl in, in, the, in the deal that goes in, and, and brings in Kawhi. You, you trade a few prospects, Galan Wright, to go and get Mark Gasol. Basically, that bench mob, all those great young players that the Raptors had accumulated, well, you, you go out and you push your chips in when you believe it's time to um, – to contend and the Raptors probably thinking the same thing now, but first you have to restock that cupboard and that's what they've done here over the last few years. And that's what they're trying to do. Bringing in young players like Barnes. They really like um, Delano, the the second round pick from Toronto. Um, you mentioned Malachi Flynn. So I think that's where they're at right now as an organization is they're in the restock, the cupboard phase and, and looking ahead to ultimately the next phase of being able to hopefully one day either you're grooming these guys to, to be a part of a, a championship contender or you're considering 
uh, getting a few of them, putting them in a deal, and going out and, and getting that, that piece that you need to be able to c- compete for a championship like they did back in 2018 with Kawhi. Josh, thanks very much. Enjoy your weekend. All right, Jim. Take care. Talk soon.